you will hear how RISC transformed Webflow's traditional year in review project into a community-focused content execution that drove meaningful outcomes. Um, this was a regular campaign at Webflow long before I started there. I actually worked on the project in 2021 as well, but it wasn't until 2022 that I really had the opportunity to drive the strategy and change the angle. And I decided this year, I want this to be all about celebrating and spotlighting the Webflow community and customers and what they can do with Webflow. You will hear what she thinks generally about SEO and how marketing teams should be approaching SEO going forward. Um, I generally think that anyone who goes too hard on SEO, the people who are worried about keywords, density, and worried about the formatting to the point of making it a bad reader experience, I think that they're going to lose in the end because you can trick an algorithm for a short amount of time, but you can't trick people for that long. And you hear how she's working with internal champions and advocates to bring in that community focus towards building the content program at Quiz. So what I do is I kind of help them find their spot in content and then I help work with them to come up with topics that they're already excited about. And then I work with them to decide, is this thought leadership? Could we go after a keyword? Is it worth it? Or will that keyword actually just maybe limit you more than it'll help you? Um, is this an article or is it a different piece of content? So I don't ever consider everything automatically a blog. So sometimes it'll be a LinkedIn post. Sometimes it'll be a forum post. Sometimes it'll be um, a, maybe a quick video snippet. Hello and welcome to another jam-packed episode of Growing With Content. I am your host, Victor Edu, the lead content marketing strategist and founder at Vaisido Studio. Today, I have Rhys Reels, the director of content at Quiz, to walk us through how she orchestrated a community-focused content strategy that drove the growth of Webflow and is currently taking that same approach to building the content program at Quiz. Let's dive in. So I'm Reese Rios. My pronouns are she, her. I'm the director of content at Case. Um, I've been in marketing and content for a little, probably over 15 years. Um, I started in search engine marketing, so a little bit more like pay-per-click advertisement and what used to be called SEO writing, which I would definitely not consider a thing anymore. Um, I very much believe in SEO practices, but if you're writing only for SEO, then you've already lost the game. Um, so that's kind of how I started. Um, I then transitioned into travel writing. I was a travel writer for a while. But the thing about travel writing is that while it's really fun and really cool and funds your travels, it doesn't really pay the bills um, unless you're in that very tip top of that niche. So I always supplemented my income by doing content marketing as a freelancer which then transitioned to working at Animals, where I was a senior content marketing manager for a few years. Um, that's that content marketing agency life. And then I transitioned into being a senior content marketing manager at Webflow, which is a visual design um, studio. So I was in-house. And from there, I really realized what I wanted to focus on and moved into being director of content at Case so I can kind of drive strategy from the beginning. Wow. Very interesting. And one thing we'll always we would come back to like when we when we're done with the first part of these interviews, the thing you said about if you're just writing for SEO, then you've already lost the game. Right? Before we get to that, let's talk about this community-focused content strategy you led and executed at Webflow that you know has that led to new business and then of course your own personal career growth. So. Right. So I'm going to focus on one particular project. I do want to say that there is an entire community team at Webflow. So I certainly was not the person who started community um, at Webflow. Webflow had a rich community before I worked there. I specifically used this strategy on a project for the 2022 year in review landing page. So I think a lot of people are familiar with companies, particularly in the B2B realm, creating those end of year giant year in review landing pages. Um, this was a regular campaign at Webflow long before I started there. I actually worked on the project in 2021 as well, but it wasn't until 2022 that I really had the opportunity to drive the strategy and change the angle. And I decided this year, I want this to be all about celebrating and spotlighting the Webflow community and customers and what they can do with Webflow. So while there were still some of that standard sections about Webflow over the course of the year, it was really more about 
what people were doing with Webflow versus what Webflow was doing. Great. Do you want me to walk you through the content process for that? Because it is a major project. <laughs> of course. We want, to, we want you to walk us through how you were able to pull that off. Right. So in previous years, the year in review was kind of done just for the sake of doing it. And it was very statistics focused. So a lot of like numbers, just number of sites that were created in Webflow, number of people who got new, signed up for new accounts. It was just a lot of statistics. And I really questioned, is this really doing anything to move us forward, especially because Webflow had already gotten that brand recognition. I think in the beginning, maybe when you were trying to work up that brand recognition and awareness, that was useful. But by the time I was at Webflow, Webflow was huge in the designer space. We certainly did not, they did not need to get their name out there. It was more about showing off the power of the tool itself and the amazing people that were behind it. So I shifted it to instead focus on, yeah, some of those standard sections. Sure, we're still going to talk about how many sites are in Webflow. Sure, we're still going to talk about the Series A, I'm sorry, Series C funding that happened in 2022, all of that news and updates. But it was also going to talk about the amazing sites that people were building with Webflow. And instead of just talking about, oh, this is how many new Webflow University lessons we created. That's just a number. Instead of that, we would say, hey, we created all these new lessons. And this many people earn certifications from watching those lessons. And then instead of just saying, hey, this many people signed up for Webflow, we can say, hey, this many people earned expert certifications and are now Webflow experts. And here's their names. Here's their picture. Here's their website. And here's some projects that they worked on. So it really took it a step further beyond just saying, hey, this is how many numbers wise, how we're doing numbers wise, and really putting the focus back on the people who use the tool. Um, it did involve a lot of data gathering. So one thing I learned from the previous year is that it takes a long time to get all the information you need for a year in review, especially if you are changing around the sections. You know, if you're not following a template from the previous year, it's going to be involved. Um, I think I had to talk to someone from almost every department in the 600 person plus organization. I put in a lot of data requests and there were a lot of messages from me asking, is it possible to get this data? Is it possible for us to know what happened here? Um, and just kind of figuring out how is it that we show everybody how to celebrate each other through the accomplishments of people with this tool. The tool is just a way, you know, Webflow was just a tool for people to change their careers up level what they could do with design and development. And we wanted to put that forefront in the forefront. Okay, great. So now let's, let's, let's talk about the initiation because, you know, it's very difficult to go into a system that is already working. Like, like you said, Webflow and be able to see things from a different angle and, you know, pulling the weight behind your own thinking and saying and making executive or your manager, whoever you were reporting to, to see why you should do things this way. That's a, that's usually a very big challenge for content marketers. Like, for instance, say a client comes to us and we say after the audit, we say, okay, we have to do things this way. It's very difficult to get clients to see why they should do things this way and not this way. Can you please tell us a little bit on how you were able to get buying? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that when I did the first year in review in 2021, I was really stuck in the, in the template that was created and the standard that was already there. Um, in 2022, there was a few different things that empowered me. First, it was that it was my second round. Um, I'd already done one year in review, so I had that knowledge. Second, we actually did not have a director of content at the time. Webflow was in between directors of content searching for someone else. So there wasn't, they actually didn't have a direct boss at the time. So I had a little bit of that leeway. And I think third, it was really just that I came to the people who were going to be involved with a clear plan, a clear hypothesis, and most importantly, I think the volunteering to own it. So I think that's probably the biggest thing is that I drove that strategy start to finish and volunteered to be the one that would do it. And when you're the one saying, hey, I'll do all of this work and here's the, what I think is going to happen, it's a lot easier for people to say, you know what, go ahead and do that experiment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When you when you take responsibility for the work, I guess it makes it makes every other person like feel like, see like, okay, collaborating or giving this a thumbs up doesn't add more, more tax on their Trello or Asana board. So now let's look at now let's look at the customers, which are like the, the shifts that you made 
So you were moving this whole thing from, let's not just take a statistics of how Webflow has grown, how much we've raised, how many websites have built with Webflow. Now let's go and look for the people who are actually building these websites and put a face to this year in review so that, of course, prospects can visualize things that people using Webflow are achieving. How are we able to recruit like customers? So that's a really beautiful thing about Webflow is that Webflow actually already had a built-in community that was really excited to share their own projects. And so something that Webflow had established prior to this is a made in Webflow gallery that if you submitted your site to that, you also had to opt in to say that like anytime you want to be featured in this, you'll be featured on our site. But that means that we can also feature you in blog posts. We can feature you on a year in review site. So we kind of had it already had that. And I think that just design and development is one of those spaces where people want to be told their stories to be told. It's free publicity for them. A lot of these people are professional designers that are studios or enterprise companies that want more clients. So it's actually a huge win for them to be on Webflow's year in review spotlighted for something amazing that they did. So I didn't really have any problem getting buy-in from the customers. Um, for sourcing it, it was um, a little bit more intentional because there are big names in the Webflow space. There are agencies that everybody knows. There are creators that everybody knows that if you're in that space, you, you would recognize their names. I wanted to strike a balance of finding those champions of Webflow that everybody knows that I knew would also champion the year in review site, but also seeking out those smaller creators that really needed and deserved that recognition. So I was really intentional about making sure that we had multiple countries represented. Um, we made sure that there was a really good balance of like genders and non-binary and different cultures represented. We had multi multilingual sites represented. Um, that was really important to me because Webflow is a very global tool and I didn't want everything to be based off of just because you're already popular. If you're already popular, you don't need the shout out. I yes. wanted to make sure that some of those smaller things. So I had certain criteria for things like, have they been mentioned before? Have we ever done a case study on them? Um, and if they did, then they were kind of moved out of the spotlight because they already had it. And it was more about making room for those smaller creators. Um, I also worked with some other people at Webflow to do um, some tweets uh, where we would put out tweets and ask people to shout out other people in the community. And we would share what other people were saying about each other. So it was really encouraging the community to celebrate each other leading up to the page so that it would feel even more celebratory when the page came out. Well, interesting. Like I love, I love how you were able to like create that balance because of course, like you rightly said, the big players, you know, whether you spotlight them or not, of course, their own use was that you know, they could help to champion the year in review and get more eyes to it. But at the same time, it was important to feature those smaller players who like celebrate that. Let's talk about results. Now that you you created this shift from okay, no more just statistics, you and you were able to like prove it that okay, I I was on this project last year. We did just statistics, statistics, statistics. This time around, we want to like feature our people, like our customers, and make the world see what they are building with Webflow. In terms of results, when you look at 2021 year in review and 2022 year in review, changing to this content strategy, this community-focused content strategy that puts the emphasis on customers, were there tangible results? What were the tangible results? I'm actually really proud to share these because in the previous years, the year in review was kind of done for the sake of doing it just because it was established. And so people were really only measuring traffic to the page. And in some years, they were measuring traffic to the careers page when it was more of an employer branding type of initiative. But this is this was no longer an employer branding initiative. So it was felt silly to me to only track those things. So I set three new goals. The number one goal was to just simply increase page traffic year over year by at least 15%. So I, I had the established 2021 um, numbers to base that off of. Um, my second goal was to create a template for informing the community members that they had been featured. So that was a huge part of my strategy, making sure that every single person that was featured in the year in review was told um, and knew about that celebration and was congratulated for it. And then my third goal was to measure more than just that traffic. Um, so I can kind of walk through each of those goals. Um, first off, it was the goal to increase the year over year traffic by at least 15%. 
in the end, in the first week, we blew that goal out of the water with over 50% increase. Over the course of a month, the year-over-year increase was over 100%. So huge, huge change. Um, My second goal was to create that template to send to community members to let them know they were featured. Um, I also included suggested social copy for different platforms so that if they wanted to be able to just quick copy paste that onto their own platform to share that they had been featured, it would be there for them. All of those emails were sent out on launch day um, so that they would get it the same day that the year review went out. And I am positive that that is a major contributor to why we had such a massive increase in week one compared to the um, previous year. So again, that was over 50% increase. And then the last goal was to go beyond traffic. So traffic is cool. And especially in the design and development world, very cool to just like get shout outs. But what else could we measure? So I, in addition to traffic, I also um, worked with a colleague to build a dashboard that tracked signups to Webflow. So new customers to Webflow, plan upgrades, anybody who was an existing customer and decided to upgrade after that. Um, Anyone who opened the Webflow Designer, which was the visual interface to design, um, that was really cool because we actually had a lot of clonable designs featured that community members had created. And if you clicked on them to clone them, you would automatically open the designer and be directly into the product. So we tracked how often people did that. Um, And then I also tracked if people went to the Webflow blog. Um, I can't share exact numbers in all of those, but I can tell you that in all categories, it was over 100% year over year. I'm going to clap for you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to clap for you because, you know, it's rare to see content marketers who look beyond just traffic. And, you know, every day, every day, like, you are going to come to traffic. You are going to come to SEO and all that. But I think we content marketers, and of course, most of the reasons why most content marketers don't get budgets approved is the fact that, when you're always when you, when you like when you start as a content marketer, you increase the traffic, you increase ranking, and all that. Initially, executives are happy hey with increased traffic, but I always feel like six months or one year down the line, if all you're going to be showing them is traffic and it doesn't show up on bottom line metrics, nobody's going to is going to be sponsoring those initiatives. So I like the fact that you ensured that you actually improved the. Uh, previous year's traffic, but you didn't stop at that. And I want to think that the second thing you did, making it easier for the people that were featured to share the news that they were featured, I think it contributed a lot because that alone exposed you to, of course, millions of people, hundreds of thousands of people that probably wouldn't have reached. So I'm going to clap for you again. Kudos for that. So now let's talk about, so before we, now let's, let's segue into how you know, that effort, like championing this whole initiative, you know, designing it, creating the plan and taking it to people, like people who would have maybe put it down and making them feel like, okay, don't worry, this is the plan, I'm going to do it. I'm not putting more work on you. It helped you transition to director of content at Quiz. And of course, that's a very big, career lift so like was it the project itself that got you like put you on quest rather or you used the project as maybe one of the reasons why uh, you got like this career job i think it was more that this project made me realize what i was so what i wanted to do next um, I think that being at Webflow was amazing. I loved my team and I loved being a senior content marketing manager because I love to write and I always wanted to stay very much in that writing role. Um, but this was my chance to really set a strategy start to finish and also work with cross collaboration. So again, I didn't build that site by myself. I worked with an incredible design and development team. And I think that the most important thing that was part of that was that I made sure that we worked together from the beginning. I came to them with a plan and then we went into Figma and we were working on it together throughout the build so that the entire time it wasn't just like copies locked, then it goes to design, design is locked, then it goes to development, then devs locked. I always say lock sections, not disciplines. Like it doesn't make any sense for me to lock copy if I haven't even seen the the design yet. It doesn't make any sense for designers to lock design if they haven't talked to developers about what can actually happen. So being able to kind of watch all those moving pieces, see where there were silos, see where things went well, where things didn't go well, um, really made me realize like 
I want to do this all the time. I want to drive strategy start to finish. And I also want to take this community focus and make it core to my job, not just core to this project. I don't want, because I also, the year in review was really kind of a stretch project for me at my job. It was not part of my normal work at Webflow. In fact, we had a totally separate, amazing, talented copywriters. So normally I wouldn't be doing copy at all in that position. It was actually just my stretch project. And I realized, you know what, if I take this to a different company and I actually lead the content team, then I can choose these kind of initiatives all year long. And that's what made me want to do that and then take that community focus and go somewhere that that community focus would be beneficial. Oh, interesting. So like, if I'm going to pick, if I'm going to summarize what Grace has just shared for our listeners out there who are trying to advance their career, I think personally what I have learned is that you don't just wake up one day and say, hey, I want to be a director of content or I want to lead the, the, the content marketing team. I think it makes sense to start with a project that you that will help you test the waters. Because like you rightly said, championing this project helped you to identify silos that would typically come between designers and maybe copywriters and trying to understand things from the very big picture. If you didn't take that step and feel very comfortable in your job, you probably wouldn't have identified that, oh, I'm very good at doing something like this and maybe I could take this you know, interest and this skill I've acquired running this to go to a bigger, go to another company where I can like champion everything and even get to employ people that help me like execute my initiative. If I take that and give to somebody who's listening to this, will I have summarized what you just said, Grace? Yeah, I think so. I think that's a great summary. <laughs> All right, great. So let's let's go over to like other things. So we've gone through the first phase of this show, which is the interview. And I think we've learned a lot. I've personally learned a lot. Let's go over to the next part where we'll just do some runs. And <laughs> what better place to start than SEO content? You mentioned it. Yeah. You mentioned it directly. So let's, let's just pour out your heart on it. <laughs> so I think that this is maybe a weird take for me because I started in SEO. And I think that people who are old school SEO people tend to really hold on to it tightly because it used to be that being an SEO expert was like this badge of honor in the content marketing world. Even really before content marketing was considered a career, SEO was a career. And it was a very specific type of work that you could get really good at because it was all algorithms and systems and patterns. So if you were, I'm really good at recognizing a pattern. So I'm really good at hacking SEO. But the thing is, SEO wasn't what it used to be 15 years ago. When I first started doing SEO, you had to write for algorithms because otherwise you simply would not rank. The algorithms weren't smart enough. Now, algorithms are so much smarter than they used to be. You don't have to cater to them. They're smart enough to figure it out. I still think there is value in having an SEO strategy. I absolutely you know, we'll do keyword targeted articles. I do SEO research on a regular basis. I do worry about SEO metrics, but not to the point where it controls my entire strategy. And it simply, it absolutely is not core to my strategy. I think that it's often used as the traffic for the sake of traffic problem. Like you were mentioning earlier, people love getting traffic at first. So like, wow, look at all these numbers. And it looks really great for about six months to a year. And then you start thinking, what is all this traffic even getting us? Are we getting new customers? Are we making more money? Or are people just clicking through to one article once and then never hearing about this again? So ranking for the sake of ranking, traffic for the sake of, of traffic isn't really going to do anything for you. So SEO is only a very small piece of the puzzle that you should be paying attention to in certain companies. I know that there's plenty of companies out there that are doing it completely without SEO and that works for them and it makes sense. Um, I generally think that anyone who goes too hard on SEO, the people who are worried about keywords density and worried about the formatting to the point of making it a bad reader experience, I think that they're going to lose in the end because you can trick an algorithm for a short amount of time, but you can't trick people for that long. Yeah, great. You, you, in fact, you can't even trick people. You can't even trick people any longer because... I know if I open a content piece and I see, let's say I open a content piece on how to improve your website and I the content starts with, do you want to improve your website? It's almost a red flag. <laughs> <laughs> it's, almost, it's almost a red flag for me because that has been used repeatedly and 
I think that is trying to align with the idea that, hey, you have to put your keyword in the first 100 words or in the first 50 words. And people just, if they don't find another way to put the keyword, they just tell you, hey, do you want to improve your site traffic and all that? So now that you know, you've experienced the good in SEO, it's not like SEO is useless. And of course, I'm not going to displace SEO. Now that you and you're now leading content, how are you, what are you doing differently so that your focus is not completely on SEO and you're ensuring that you're balancing organic discovery with, ensure, with the fact that people actually have to read this content and not algorithm just giving the content this is pass mark. Yeah, so at, at Case, I am actually really lucky to have two in-house developer advocates. So I have a US-based developer advocate, um, Jenna, and I have a Europe-based developer advocate, Vitaly. So I have two internal experts that are at my disposal to help with content creation, which is huge for me. So the first thing I did with both of them is I actually created their case persona. So we have Jenna at case, we have Vitaly at case, and they're specific for personas that show them how to bring their authentic self to their personality as at work, but also kind of keep it on brand. So when you're representing case, what is it that you're interested in? And the beauty about having two different de developer advocates is that they have different interests and they have different specialties. So for example, Vitaly is really into psychology of work, sociology, and a little bit more academic thinking where Jenna um, loves to coach. Jenna loves to have a hot, you know, kind of like a interesting take, but not argumentative. Um, Jenna loves to help junior testers. And so what I do is I kind of help them find their spot in content. And then I help work with them to come up with topics that they're already excited about. And then I work with them to decide, is this thought leadership? Could we go after a keyword? Is it worth it? Or will that keyword actually just maybe limit you more than it'll help you? Um, is this an article or is it a different piece of content? So I don't ever consider everything automatically a blog. So sometimes it'll be a LinkedIn post. Sometimes it'll be a forum post. Sometimes it'll be um, a, maybe a quick video snippet. Um, all of those things are possible. And I think that it's just important to think, to use the internal resources that I have um, sometimes those keywords are important. So I think that I also work with freelancers and I often assign my freelancers the keyword targeted pieces that are more straightforward and informative, things that I don't need to have like a super creative take on. Um, for content that I work with my developer advocates on, I want their personality to shine through and I also want case to shine through. So I think of case as a very helpful, knowledgeable and kind of casual conversational brand is that we're here to talk to people in the industry. We're excited to just discuss. So we want to start conversations. And I think that a lot of the work that I do at Case is really just figuring out how do we start a conversation somewhere? Oh, interesting. How do we start a conversation? So like, I think that's a very interesting take to take um, to, that's a very interesting approach when it comes to content marketing, because if you can nail that where every content piece you create is focused on getting somebody to read it and enjoy it enough to want to start a conversation, then content can actually contribute to pipeline. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So um, the other thing I want to talk about is community. So now you are at um, Quase and you, you, you came to Quase with that, you know, feeling like, confident in building a community-focused or executing a community-focused content strategy. What has been the progress in terms of, you know, ensuring that, you know, because for most content marketers, it's not like they don't want to feature customers. Sometimes you walk into a company and there is no community existing, you know, because the company has not been taking, you know, ensuring that they could get customers into a special forum where, you could, you could keep educating them and all that. So how have you been able to ensure that community-focused like content execution? So a lot of it has to do with making sure that my developer advocates are really present online and in a lot of different spaces. I want them to be wherever our audience is. So I actually curate on a weekly basis interaction, what I call interaction opportunities for our developer advocates and also a few internal champions at Case, so not necessarily just the internal, um, the developer advocates, but also Case champions. Um, and those interaction opportunities work across Reddit, Quora, um, specific forums like Ministry of Testing, 
um, LinkedIn, other social media platforms. And it's all these places where I think that we should be hanging out. And it might be responding to a question on Quora about how to develop your career as a junior tester. It might be adding some information to a collaborative article on LinkedIn because you have that expertise. Um, it might be that you start a conversation on LinkedIn challenging something in the industry. So um, for example, one of my developer advocates is a agile methodology expert, but he also has a lot of strong feelings about things that are going wrong with that methodology and scrum masters that do it wrong. So I really work with him to challenge those things, post those, start the, those conversations and really get in touch with our audience. And part of that is so that our brand is more available because they're always being shown as Jenna at Case or Vitaly at Case or Reese at Case. Um, but it's also because we attend a lot of conferences throughout the year. We sponsor conferences, our, we give talks at conferences, and particularly for the developer advocates, that visibility is so that it's easier for them to get talks. They're going to be those coveted names. And it already does work a little bit in that sometimes our developer advocates don't have to apply. Sometimes they're invited to do things. And that's kind of the idea is that we want to create a community for Case that's Yes, we would love for you to be our customer, but we're also would just love to have a cool conversation with you. We'd also love to share knowledge with you. Um, and that's really in line with kind of the software tester development industry is that developers are about knowledge sharing. They want to share their code bases. They want to um, troubleshoot things together. And by just inserting ourselves into those conversations and making ourselves available, I think that that really builds that brand affinity that we need and that a lot of our competitors lack. Oh. Interesting, like very, very interesting. So I'm just trying to imagine the level of work that goes into all that, like trying to curate like all these questions from Reddit, Quora, LinkedIn, and then working with your developer advocates to like, how do you do that? So how do you choose these topics? Do you go into Quora? Do you have a tool that consolidates all this information Then you just maybe open it up and then fetch the ones that you want to cover? So a couple different things. First of all, the good thing about knowing how to work with algorithms is that you know how to train them. So every time I get a new position, I train my algorithm to that persona. Recent case has her, like I have a whole separate newsletter subscription. I use social media differently on my, that, Chrome, that Chrome browser. I subscribe to different forums. I follow different forums. I am a new person um, at these jobs because I need to be immersed. For me to really know what's needed, I need to be where my target audience is. So I do spend a lot of time just scrolling through forums and seeing what questions are people asking. I think that's something that people miss a lot with SEO. Um, they'll see, they'll go after those really like high search volume keywords and completely neglect the long tail questions that lots of people are asking. And SEO tools are just predictions. They're just based off of what already exists and predicting what might exist in the future. So we can't treat them as this one-stop shop of information. Just because some tool tells me that nobody's searching for that, if I'm on Quora or Reddit and 100 people have looked at a question, I'm interested in answering that question for those 100 people. So I do think that it's um, a good use of my time to be on those things. I help curate it for my developer advocates because... I am in tune with their personas because I help them build them. And I went through a whole exercise to build those personas with them. I have my own process where I have a bunch of guiding questions I take them through. I have them share inspirational accounts with me. And then I put together an entire persona that says things like Jenna at Case is, and there's a bunch of adjectives and Jenna at Case talks about, and there's all the topics that Jenna is passionate about. And then there's voice and tone guidelines, like how do you come off? Um, and that way, by going through that exercise, I'm already aware that I know, for example, that Jenna loves coaching juniors. So if I see a question from a junior that's asking how to build up their career, I'm going to shoot that over to Jenna. If I, Vitaly is really into like, you know, Edward Deming and how he influenced DevOps. So if I see something talking about Deming or some other sociologist or psychologist, I'm going to kick that to Vitaly. So getting to know my internal experts is the first step. Um, as for organization, uh, that is a different beast that I use mostly Notion for. I have a content calendar where I create my assignments. So those are things that I'm assigning to either internal writers or my freelance writers and keeping track of like what's in the works and when it's coming out, kind of creating that balance. Um, and then I have a separate Notion um, kind of board that I call the pitch board. And it's for anybody at case, mostly developer advocates, but also any internal champions that 
want to work on their persona, want to work on their online presence, and they can pitch ideas to me and I will help workshop them. I will tell them, this is a LinkedIn article, or this is a blog post, or this is a like tweet or whatever it is. And I help them figure out what is the channel for this? Like, is this in line with our brand? Does, are you the right person to discuss it? And where do we put it? Um, and a lot of that has to do with like personality. So another example is that one of our internal champions, Emily, is a really avid gardener. So I have helped her use gardening as her ongoing analogy to quality assurance. She talks a lot. She already had a lot of that established, but I've kind of helped her use that analogy more cohesively so that it becomes part of her persona. Like you get to be this gardener person at work, but you're also tying it back to what you do at work. Same thing with Vitaly. He's um, he's a pet rescuer. He does so much amazing work with all of his animals that he rescues. He calls them his flock. Um, but he does a lot of talking about how like his rescue work teaches him about quality assurance and teaches him about um, how to do software development. And I think that that's really beautiful to make those human connections because we all are people outside of work. So we can have a professional persona that's also ourselves. Yeah, this has to be content marketing through you more like, I must take these lessons like number one. Like I know of, I I have experience interviewing internal experts, trying to get their opinion on a topic so that you know we use that internally and craft content that they will be proud to share. But I have never ever thought of creating personas for internal champions. Like this is the first time I am hearing. So thank you for like leaking that secret to us. And I believe our <laughs> I don't know, take a lot from her. So in case you in case you missed that, I'm gonna re-emphasize. Riz talked about how it's important to get internal, not just know your internal experts, try to know them as a person. So that while you're creating topics that they will probably want to write or add their opinion on, you could you know skew that topic to what their personal interests are outside work. Because by doing so, it gives them, you know, it makes them more drawn in and passionate about writing that. And then secondly, and most importantly, you have, as content marketers, you have to go where customers or prospects are. Riz shared an example of how she's on, she's on LinkedIn. She has, you know, different profiles on Quora, on Reddit, trying to see what people are asking and then mapping those questions that people are asking to internal champions within in-house getting their opinion on them and even guiding them to craft content that she knows would be helpful to that audience. Honestly, I must applaud you for this because, you know, like I said, this is content marketing 301. (laughs) With all these efforts you've put in, creating personas for your developer advocates, getting to know your SMEs to the extent of creating, you know, their personas and mapping questions, that prospects will probably have to them and helping them to talk about those, answer those questions in the context of who their, what their personality aligns with. What has been some kind of results or conversations that it has started that makes you confident that, okay, I'm on the right track, I'm doing the right thing? Yeah, okay, that's great. So I think a lot of the work that we've done has been on LinkedIn. So I've been able to see the growth of the case company page, but actually, perhaps more importantly, the growth of both of my developer advocate pages. So I use their personal accounts a lot. I'm sure a lot of content marketers that dabble in social media are aware that LinkedIn does not want you to leave the platform. It prioritizes personal pages over company pages. So it's really hard to get traction on a company page unless you have really good employee buy-in as well. And it's really tough to get it because most people don't want to go like their company pages stuff. They don't want to interact with the company page. They don't want to reshare it. So part of what I do is make sure that I am talking to the whole company about what we're doing. I share things in public channels. I give them context about why we did it and how we did it. Um, I think one of the most exciting ones that I did was my first article that I worked on case was um, a co-byline with Vitaly. I had not intended to be a co-byline, but we ended up kind of writing it together. And it's a perfect example of my love of SEO thought leadership hybrid. So we wanted to cover the topic of mob programming. Mob programming is a big keyword. It has a lot of search volume, decent keyword difficulty, very in line with our target audience. But I didn't want to write something that's just, what is mob programming? It, it exists. Somebody, it's asked and answered a hundred times over. 
Luckily, Vitaly has some really cool insights about how he believes that mob programming practices, which is a collaborative um, approach to software development, can also be applied to project management and team management. So he and I wrote an article together that did answer the search intent that says like, hey, this is what mob programming is and this is how it works. But then we really took it into a different ed type of direction where it's saying, and all of this works better in project management too. Like you can do better team management if you take a collaborative approach and really explored it. So instead of just doing that boring SEO thing, we really took it and showed off like our thoughts, our opinions and our style. And by doing that, we were both able to share it on our personal accounts separately. We were both able to get a different audience to respond to us for different reasons. I talked a lot about the content strategy behind it. He talked a lot about the research behind it and we got a really good um, response on both sides. Um, since then, we've also tracked the kind of interaction and followers that my developer advocates have gotten. We also do what I call the qualitative wins. Not everything has to be quantitative. So screenshots of somebody really big reposting your um, your LinkedIn post, something with a lot of followers or a really good comment or even shout out saying like, hey, I loved this. All of those things are metrics. Just because you can't say, wow, this is a 15% increase, you can say, Five different people on LinkedIn said that this was an incredible article. And for people, to, five different people to say it's an incredible article publicly, that means an exponential amount of people also thought that but didn't post it. And so that's really, really valuable information that tells me that we're on the right track. People like what we're doing. Yeah, interesting. Uh, uh, Ran Fishkin talks about, one of the things he talks about that I like is Sometimes when you're creating content, you're not just creating content for your target audience. You're creating content for the people who your target audience trusts. So yeah. I talks about this influencer, like creating a persona and mapping some of your content pieces so that your target, like an influencer that your target audience follow and trust is going to love it so much and say, oh, my audience is something that will be valuable to you. And I think that is one of, that's, that's a very good win because, you know, Sometimes when you unpack the customer journey and you realize that when you want to solve a problem, what you normally do is you probably go to Google and search for a company you've learned about. And sometimes you don't even search for the keyword. So looking at content from this angle makes sense because, again, you're not just trying to rank and all that. Ranking is good, but you're trying to ensure that you create content that is usable on mediums where people would read it and feel like it was written for a human being. Now, that last word is where I want to draw into. Written for human beings, you know, because I take it as a very serious investment that someone like as busy as I am or as busy as you are, will take out 15 minutes of your time and sit, like, sit down and read a content piece from beginning to end. So I keep asking myself, what can I do to write a content piece that a CMO, a CEO, like a director of product would sit down and read? Now that brings me to the angle of writing content for human beings. And one way we've been able to do it, one way we like, we are always learning, but we are not there yet and nobody ever gets there. It's the angle of storytelling. So how have you been able to like bring in that stories, bring in those stories of, okay, this internal expert is, he likes uh, rescuing, like, what do you say he likes doing and all that? He you likes know, to rescue animals. Yeah, he's yeah. an animal rescuer. Rescue animals, like, how do you bring in those, how have you managed to bring in those genuine stories and, you know, segue them into topics that naturally you would have just said, this is how to do this. And then you put, put it in your H1, H2s and all. How have you been able to, like, create that and where the content feels like it is for a human being. So one thing I've been working on um, with anyone that I work with as a writer, freelancer, internal is writing good examples and defining what a good example is. Um, I actually have a, a piece of content in the works for this. I don't know. That's definitely a side project for me about how to just determine what makes a good example for your audience, because that is very important on how to write them. So that's something that I've been working on a lot is that a lot of times what happens with experts is that they don't know how to relate to people who aren't at their level naturally. It's not that they can't do it, but it doesn't come naturally to them. They use too high level of examples or they get too in the weeds with something. So something that I like to do is make them take a step back and say, okay, explain it to someone who's never done this or explain it in something that's relatable. Um, so 
one of the good examples with Vitaly, the person who likes to do um, animal rescuing, is that he also wrote a whole article and did an entire talk and is actually giving another talk on the, the practice of dog fooding. So dog fooding is the practice of using your own software. So in that way, when you're using your own software, you're developing it better because you are part of the quality. You're witnessing the quality as you use it. So that obviously has a really good tie with being an animal rescuer. So I think he actually just very recently posted something on LinkedIn that is an adorable video of him feeding, milk feeding one of his rescue puppies. Um, and he talks about how he actually has to taste that milk before he gives it to his puppy because he has to see to make sure that it tastes good, that it's actually the right temperature, doesn't burn the the puppy. And by bringing that, and then he talks about how that's also part of dog fooding and software is that if you're not using the software, how are you going to know that it's really annoying to try to log in or like that there's a weird button and the UI is off? So making that connection is something really cool because it's really natural for Dali. That doesn't feel like work for him to make that example, but a lot of people would understand it. A lot of people that have nothing to do with software engineering and development would understand why you would test milk before giving it to a puppy. So that's a good example. Oh, interesting. Like you said, not going two steps above or going too much into the weeds so that like you don't lose the reader. Like people, I feel like you just imagine you with all your experience in content marketing, you go to a content piece and someone says they want to define what is content marketing. You'd be like, like skip, 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 skip. Like I've passed, like I've gone past this, but it doesn't mean that somebody cannot write what is content marketing and you would want to be interested in. Probably that person will say something like, what content marketing should be in 2023, then you'll be like, okay, I know of content yeah. marketing, but what do you think it should be in 2023? And you want to listen on it. How, how do you bring in quiz, you know, into your typical blog? Let's talk about the MOB, the mob article you wrote. Like, how do you bring in quiz into your content pieces so that it's not, it doesn't sound like you're shoving it down people's throats and at the same time, you're not leaving an opportunity to like introduce the product to engage readers who are enjoying all the stories you're telling and all that. I think we do a lot of just being really transparent. I think that there's it's silly to pretend that a company blog isn't going to promote the company's product. Um, but just being honest about it and not trying to be sneaky. So I think that one of the best examples of that um, is an article we have on our blog that's just like a listicle that's the best test management tools of 2023. Um, I recently refreshed it for SEO reasons, but also because I wanted to make sure it had the most up-to-date information. But what we do in that is obviously our, our own product is going to be on that list, <laughs> but it would be ridiculous for us to just create a listicle that's just a bunch of our competitors and then us saying like, our competitors are terrible and we're great and you should love us. And I see listicles like that all the time where people, they they do clickbaity titles where it'll be like Notion alternative. And then it's just like Notion alternative. And then it's one alternative and it's their product. And it's not a very good, helpful article. People are angry because they're just looking for actual information. So what our listicle does is it is not opinion-based. It is based completely off of customer reviews on G2 and Captera. So Yes, we put ourselves on there and we acknowledge, of course, we're on here, but we also have a fantastic rating on G2. And here's what people say about us. Here are actual reviews and here are actual pros and cons that people say. And then we also list our competitors and we list their scores and actual things. Do we, of course, say like highlight any comments that say like, hey, this is what somebody said about our tool over this one? Of course. But we've already acknowledged that we're going to do that. It's not disingenuous because it's not our opinion. It's somebody else's. We just use that customer created, that user generated content to inform it. And it makes us more transparent. And I'm working on more content like that with our internal experts, because that's really our strength here is that our product was actually built by a developer. Our CEO made the product because he needed the product. He was frustrated with what was out there and he built it. So we have that kind of internal expertise already. And so by just being honest about it and saying, hey, of course, we think we're the best. Everyone thinks they're the best, but we don't need to convince you. Customers can convince you. Just take it from them. Wow. Very interesting. Like, of course, people are not stupid. They're not going to come to a blog post you wrote and expect them to come and because it's business. You're trying to help them so that they can help the business. So it's important to just set the context straight and say, hey, this article is going to mention our product. Maybe not just say, this article will mention our product. You say, this article will show you how to solve the problem that the article will address 
with our product. So for every content marketer listening there and you're trying to do product-led content, because this is product-led content, just ensure you set the record straight, you know, so that when it gets to the point where you start showing your product, the reader doesn't feel like, well, I wasn't told, just shove this thing down my throat. So very interesting thing. So we've talked about storytelling. We've talked about how you make the content product-led. And it's been a very fun conversation. I hope I can do this again. But if there's something I can take away from our conversation today is the fact that I should start building internal champions, especially for any company we work with. Because I seriously haven't talked about this this way. I've not. I've asked internal experts for questions, but I have never tried to send them questions, trying to recognize who they are and what they will be interested in talking about. So, any final words? Yeah, um, just to kind of respond to what you just said, I think that that's a problem that a lot of people have is getting those internal experts to actually want to write for you is so hard. And I won't say like, again, I'm very lucky that I have two people on staff that it's part of their job to do that, but getting other people to champion. What I would say is a little bit of what I've done is that you need to get to know them as a person first. You need to understand what they're excited about because if you're just giving them assignments, of course, they're never going to do it. They have no real motivation to write a blog article or write a social media post or answer a question on a forum if it's not part of their, their job. But if it's something they're already passionate about, then you're meeting them more where they are. So getting to know those internal experts and then also making yourself available as a coach. So I always tell people, you do not have to be a writer to write for our blog, to write for the company. You just have to be willing to be coached and work with me. Um, so I do a lot of ghostwriting. I do a lot of formatting for people. I do a lot of outlining for people. Um, I actually, we even work with writers who don't write in English as their first language. And we translate and work with it from there so that they can feel comfortable writing in their native language and sharing their ideas. So I think it's really just about figuring out what makes it exciting for your internal champions. Because you can't just say, hey, I need you to be an internal champion for this product. Like, that's ridiculous. Nobody really wants to be, you know, unless you're in sales already, nobody really wants to sell a product. But if you talk about something you're actually passionate about in the process, it's different. Yeah. Thank you very much. So final words from race. Go talk to your internal champions. Of course, it's not their job description to come and start writing content. You are the content marketer. You are the marketer. 